0: What is good, everybody? Welcome to the Crossover Podcast, part of the Niners Nation Podcast Network. I am Rob Stats guerrera If you are new to the show, this is where we take a deep dive on the 49ers opponent of the week. We are in playoff time, wildcard weekend coming up, and I am very excited to be joined by a special guest on today's show. From the Take 12 Podcast of the Believe Podcast Network, three-time Pro Bowler, former Seahawks linebacker Lofa Tatupa. Lofa, What's up?
1: How's it going, my man?
0: I am great, and I'm going to start in a strange place. Playoff game this weekend, obviously. You've played in playoff games for the Seahawks. You played in one of the most famous playoff games, the Tony Romo botched snap game. Yeah. Everybody remembers Tony Romo botched the snap, but what they don't remember is the only reason the Cowboys had to kick a field goal is because you stonewalled Jason Witten on third down, he catches the ball an inch away from the first down marker and bam, you smash into him and stop him from getting the first down that sets up that whole thing. Nobody remembers that.
1: You remembered. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, yeah, that was a, that was a special play to set up the uh, the field goal that didn't, didn't happen. Um Low man wins, you know, they, I got knocked for being short, you know, as a middle linebacker, but it came in handy there because I was able to get underneath uh Witten's pads on that one.
0: And I don't want to, you know, bring up bad memories, but Seahawks fans do know about people getting stopped on the one yard line. And oh. it, you know, I just, it just happens to come to mind. I
1: feel like you wanted to bring that one up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's not my fault. They flow together. What can I say? Um, Okay, there's a lot to get to in this one. I kind of want to start big picture, though. If I had told you at the beginning of the year that Bobby Wagner was going to be a much bigger loss for this Seahawks team than Russell Wilson, would you have believed me?
1: Absolutely, and only because I was uh, coaching in there, and I got to see it firsthand how much Bobby meant to that team, not just that defense. Um, unbelievable leader, unbelievable player. And um, now I, I wouldn't have you know, expected that Russ's season went the way it did. But um, I, I would have told you that it was a much more, you know, important factor that we lost Bobby than than it was Russ, just because of uh, firsthand seeing the leadership. Man,
0: I think that was part of maybe some of the low expectations for Seattle was number one, Gino, and number two, like they let Bobby go. Did did they leave? Did they let him go, or did he really want out?
1: You know, I think Bobby wanted to. I don't think, I think it was reports where he didn't want to restructure. And because Mm -hmm. he had, he had that, I think it was 20 million cap number, which, you know, it's a lot to pay a middle linebacker, but I, you know, I say, look, you can't pay a line, a middle linebacker that kind of money unless they rush the passer. Now what Bobby does best is rush the passer as he just had six sacks, a career high with uh, his new team in the Rams. So uh, I thought he was worth the money. I thought there was going to be a restructuring and, But it was kind of – it was very sudden and uh, unexpected from from all of us up here in the Pacific Northwest when um, they did just kind of let him go and not go back to the table and and say, hey, we want you to be part of the, you know, immediate future, maybe not long-term because he is in 10th or 11th year now. But, um, you know, everything he brings to the team, I thought there was going to be some conversations about bringing him back.
0: Lo and behold, here comes Geno Smith the only quarterback in the nfc to throw for 30 touchdowns this year it's absolutely insane how did this happen i think you know the
1: maturity you know he's been he's been a backup for probably what 7 8 years i think the last time he started with the jets you i mean he might have started one or two with the giants and i think the chargers was the other team he was with uh which it is kind of poetic justice. He came back and he beat all of his former teams this year. That that was pretty sweet. I know that had to mean something to him, even if he won't come out and say it, um, not from like a revenge or, you know, vindictive standpoint. I just think, you know, it meant something to, to him to, to see his old teams and play and play well against them. And, uh, but he's really carried this offense, man. Um, you know, Kenneth Walker has been amazing, you know, unbelievable rookie that, that they got early in the draft. And, um, you know especially to go along with those two tackles it's rare that you find we have five starters um all together between offense and defense uh in that draft class it's unbelievable what John's been able to do and um but yeah Gino there's you know Kenneth's been in and out of the lineup and so the run game has not been the same when he's not there and so if if we expect to win this week we're we're going to need to get the ground game going cuz we haven't been able to the last two times playing you guys
0: the weather is supposed to be a factor, potential high winds, potential rain. How much of an equalizer is that? Do you think?
1: I think it hurts us. Everybody's saying it benefits us. Cause you know, we're used to playing in the rain and practicing in the rain, but um, Gino, if, if we can't get that ground game going, Gino's going to have to carry, carry the team. And so, you know, you don't want it wet while you're throwing the ball, right? A lot of you know slip, slip out of the hand fumbles, things like that. But, um, and then also, if that forces the ground games to be the, the focal point for both offenses, that favors you guys because our rush defense has not been good.
0: Yeah, 359 yards, I think, some or close to that in two games against Seattle this year. Um, <laughs> as a defensive guy, as a linebacker, though, does the rain help you? Um,
1: you know, I, I don't played in pretty much every element, You know, especially I grew up on the East Coast, so I played in snow, played in rain. Um, I never really paid attention to it as some players do, you know, Um, but I I don't, I don't think it really, in this game, I don't think, I think it hurts us again, because if you have to keep it on the ground, um, you know, what we want to do, or what I would want to do as a defender and if I was the defense coordinator is put the ball in Brock Purdy's hand. And so if it's not there, because it's a rookie quarterback, he's played phenomenal. You guys are hot, 10 straight wins, something like that. And uh, I think, over 30 points in every uh, the last three or four starts for him. But this is the playoffs now. And there is, you know, that element of a lot of pressure in terms of everybody's watching this one game, only game on, right? Um, and so we'll see how Brock responds to that. He's been unbelievable uh, to date, but, uh, you know, we'll see how he handles the, the the big
0: moment. I've heard a lot of guys say, I they told me, you know, that playoff games are more intense and faster, but I didn't really understand it until I played in one. Is that a real thing?
1: Oh, absolutely. And it really starts towards the end of the season when you make that playoff run or push. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, we needed some help from the outside. We needed Detroit Lions to take care of business last Sunday night. And so but I mean, the the hits, you can hear them from the stands, the the speed on the field picks up. That sense of urgency is really what it's about. And then the atmosphere, the crowd is going nuts. There is nothing in the world like playoff football.
0: I'm actually a little curious. Last time I checked, you could get into Levi's for like 90 bucks. And I'm wondering how well the 12s are going to travel for this one.
1: I hope so. Because, I mean, we we did travel to Germany for that Munich game. Uh, (laughs) Me and and the Take 12 podcast took a a bunch of uh, former legends over there. and We had a great time. Not the result we wanted, but... Um, I'm hoping we travel well, because when I was at the Thursday night game against the Niners, uh, just a couple weeks ago, you couldn't tell who made a big play. If you weren't watching the game, if you were just walking in the corridors or the hallways, you just heard a roar, whether it was Seattle or, uh, San Fran making a big play. And so I'm hoping we travel and show up for this one.
0: I was kind of surprised by that too. I mean, we're talking about one of the toughest places to play in all of sports and the Niner fans kind of invaded that week.
1: It was a sea of red, my man. I was, oh, I was sick. I was sick out there watching it.
0: I'm not going to lie. I didn't mind. I've had enough of the House of Horrors in Seattle for a long time. It was nice to see a little red there. Um, offensively, you mentioned it might be more difficult to pass in the rain. DK Metcalf has had his hands full, which are various Ward for the 49ers. Is there something that you see Ward doing that particularly bothers him?
1: I think just challenge him, you know, um, being physical, you're not going to out physical DK, but getting hands on him early and, you know, just trying to knock him off his route. Um, he's very fast, very strong, but just, you know, just trying to annoy him really is essentially what I've seen where other guys are just kind of like, oh, well, I'm just going to back off and, and then try to make the tackle. <laughs> he's challenging him at the point of attack. He's going up for the ball. You know, um, he, he plays with a lot of confidence, man. Uh, and, and Ward's been playing, you know, he's been playing
0: great. More physical player, DK Metcalf or Debo Samuel? Oh, man,
1: that's tough. <laughs> hey, D- Debo is really one of my favorite guys to watch in the NFL right now because he looks like a defensive player with the ball in his hand, just attacking, attacking. There was, there was one play the first game. He got the ball, got hit. Five or six yards deep, and then it turned into a seven-yard gain, and it was just like that's not supposed to happen. I think both of our linebackers had a shot him on that play, and then uh, a D lineman he dragged, you know, for an <laughs> extra two or three yards. It's just like you're not supposed to be able to do that as a receiver. Um, they're both amazing, so I'm gonna I'm gonna opt to I'm gonna plead the fifth on this one.
0: Uh huh. Sitting on the fence. I see how it is. <laughs> one of the things the Niners do that challenges people is they seem to have a lot of interchangeable parts, right? They have McCaffrey. He can be in the backfield. He could be in the slot. He could be out wide. Same thing with Debo, same thing with Kittle at times. What, what does that do to you, especially as a middle linebacker? How does that change things for you? Yeah.
1: You have to play assignment based defense. Like, you know, the perfect case is that, that play that Shanahan drew up. He's an unbelievable play caller, but that fake screen, double screen, and to Kittle right down the middle. There wasn't a guy within 10, 15 <laughs> yards of him, man. And like, and he's got top end speed. So it's um you have to stay at home, you know, uh be ready for everything. But I think the biggest thing for us right now, we have to find a way to shut down the run. If 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 the 49ers can run as easy as they did last time, it doesn't favor us. it doesn't do us any uh, any good.
0: What is kind of the general feeling there? Is it is it like hey this is house money, whatever happens happens. Or is it more like, Hey, this is a division game. Anything can happen. We're in this thing.
1: I think there's, there's a definitely belief in that locker room. And that's really all that has to happen for, for you, for you to pull off an upset, so to speak. Uh, like to take it back to when, you know, we got beat up pretty good in 2010 by the, the defending champs, the saints in new Orleans. And then, you know, we limped into the playoffs, but like you said, anything can happen. And, um, I, they they were favored to beat us by like, I don't know, like 15 or something crazy. And uh, we were just like, Hey man, they're in our house, anything can happen. And we ended up, you know, pulling off. That was of course beast quake with an amazing run by Marshawn Lynch. And um, it was a crazy game. It was awesome. And so anything can happen in the playoffs, but I think really the belief I heard Tyler Lockett say it the other day that playing with house money, just like we, we believe we can win. No one expected us to be here is what he said. And so, when with that little chip on your shoulder, um, we really we really don't have anything to lose. Um, and especially, you know, I know a lot of people are like, well, if we don't make the playoffs, we'll get a better draft pick by by a
0: spot or two. Right.
1: I was like, well, the Broncos hooked us up with that fifth overall. So
0: we're, <laughs> we're doing all right. You're good. Um, real quick about that Beastquake game. Is that the loudest you've ever heard that stadium or was there another game?
1: It was that that particular moment, I wouldn't say the whole game was like that, because they yep. were up, they were up right away, I think by two touchdowns, and we came back, fought and clawed our way back in the game. But my rookie year, the NFC Championship, that's one moment that they were, you know, the twelves, my rookie year in 05, that's when they really made their voice heard, so to speak. Um, the Giants game, when they had 10 false starts, which is kind of record. And uh, and we needed every one of those ball starts because that game went to overtime and there was like three or four missed field goals that game. Um, so they really had a hand in winning that game. And then the championship game that year, I couldn't we had to go straight to hand signals for both those games because we couldn't I couldn't even talk to Leroy Hill uh, that was next to me and uh, just three yards from me.
0: That was going to be my next question. Like, the crowd is always screaming when you're on the field, and you're supposed to be able to hear the play call too and talk to one another. So you have to go hand signals also.
1: Absolutely. And then you got to change them because, you know, uh, a good quarterback will pick up on the coverages. Like a Peyton Manning and and Tom Brady, those guys are like, oh, I know what they're in. I just saw their hand signals. So we would have to change hand signals at the half and get creative um to, to make sure that they weren't on to us.
0: Oh, that's crazy. I never th- – thought about it from the defensive perspective before. Um one thing that I am terrified of because I feel like it's coming. And you'll know you played for him. Pete Carroll at some point is going to pull some sort of special teams trickeration here. Am I crazy in thinking that or do you expect it as well?
1: I I, I could see it. I mean, you know, we we I think it was San Fran game one when we tried the uh the Wildcat package and then threw a yep. horrible horrible interception. <laughs> And so I hope it doesn't happen early because I think, you know, in the terms of a player, it can make us start to think like, oh, well, we have to resort to trick plays to move the ball or score. You know, I I hope that's not the case. I think we probably gave up on the run a little too early in both games. Of course, the first one was very lopsided score. So I understand why conserving clock and trying to claw back into that game. But this last one, you know, it was only um, an untimely, Fumble that went back to our red zone then and, and the Niners scored to make it 14-3 at half. But we were in that game very much. And and Kenneth, Kenneth Walker, who's been unbelievable, he had four yards of carry during that game. So to only give him 14 carries. Last week we gave him 29 or something like that. It was amazing to watch that we could just rely on it, you know, down in and down out and take some of that
0: pressure off of Gino. Yeah, that insane draft class that you guys have had. Like you're supposed to be done. I was supposed to be done worrying about the Seahawks. And yeah. now you're just, lo- this is exactly how the Legion of Boom, like Russell Wilson era Seahawks started in 2012, I think it was, or maybe 2011. There was yeah. that awesome draft class and that was it. And now here you are again.
1: 2010, you know, they don't, I don't think they, they get enough credit. That was my last year. And you had Russell Okung, Earl Thomas, two pro bowlers, Golden Tate, Pro Bowl, um, Cam Chancellor in the fifth. Uh, nice. It just, yeah, I mean, that was one of the most loaded draft class we had. And, of course, they all didn't get to play until that second year where they were all in the field. But they, it was the, the foundation, really. And I think that's what we're seeing right now is kind of getting that foundation going and then um, probably going with best available in the future because they really fill the need, too. You know, bookend tackles. Um, a running back that you can count on, just a bell cow. And then um, over on the defensive side to pick up a fourth and fifth round corner and both of them start and be studs. Uh, Kobe Bryant leading the league or uh, amongst the league leaders in forced bumbles, added two sacks on the year. And then you look over at the other side, Tariq the Freak, woolly man, 6'5", 200, four, Do you like that sort of thing? That's insanity.
0: 6'5", <laughs> at
1: corner. Unreal. And he used to play wide receiver. So I think the learning curve has been, you know, a lot you know, quicker for him because just like Richard Sherman, who played three years at, at, at wide receiver before turning over to corner um, at Stanford for his last year, they know what offenses are trying to do out of formations and then also the splits of the wide receiver when they break the huddle. It kind of gives them, you know, that both perspectives. So they, they know how to play each route and each and what route to expect
0: former 49ers great richard sherman yeah he didn't run a 425 though (laughs)
1: he he didn't he didn't but he was every bit as tall physical and uh he you know he he brought a lot of um just leadership and smarts you know of course stanford right they're known for those books
0: does the outcome of this game affect gino's future with the team at all
1: no i don't think so i I believe he's our immediate future. Now, how long that is, that's up for John to decide. I mean, he's done an unbelievable job with the roster every year. So um, I hope it's, you know, maybe a three, two to three year deal. And in the next draft, not this one coming up, in the next one and future draft, you can find that quarterback. Because, I mean, if anybody's proven it, it's Kyle, you don't really need a, a top five pick. I mean, if, if, if it's a luxury there and, and you can get one like they did with Trey, I forget what pick he was, but if you can get one early in the first round, then yeah, you can go ahead and do it, especially if you, you know, a team falls in love with a guy. But he's got Brock Purdy, he's got the seventh, the last pick of the seventh round, you know, undefeated right now. And, you know, I as as look, I'm gonna give Brock credit. He's been playing great, but I mean the weapons around him and and the defense, though those leads to wins. That leads to wins. Um, as as we saw early on in Russell's career, a third round pick. Yep. And, that everybody was like, oh well, you know, we, you know, why did we take a quarterback, in the, an undersized quarterback, in the third round, and then the rest is history? We had the Legion of Boom, an amazing defense, and Marshawn Lynch.
0: Hmm, he was pretty good. God, I hate that <laughs> call. Uh, <laughs> sorry, it's, the scars run deep, man. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, there, yeah. It's been like a decade of torture. Even when the 49ers had great teams with Harbaugh, they would come to Seattle and get their doors blown in.
1: <laughs> it was. It's made for an amazing rivalry, even going back to when uh, John was at, uh, 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 Jim was at uh, Stanford Stanford. and and Pete was at SC. You know, I thought that added to the rivalry, but uh, but yeah, yeah, you're right, man. Both two of those teams, man, they were loaded with talent and just, it was one of the most fun times of football watching them slug it out, man.
0: Fun. Yeah. I didn't think the NFC championship game in 2013 was very fun.
1: Yeah, I I'm sure there's some plays they wanted back, but
0: (laughs) is it is it still uh like a big deal to the players that rivalry, or is that more among the fans now, do you think?
1: I think it's it's more among the fans. Um, you know, because like you said, that it has been kind of lopsided uh up until this year. You know, it's it's funny, just like in this in the NFC West, it's almost like you know, Pete's had uh Shanahan's number. Shanahan has McVay's number. McVay has, um, Clint Kingsbury's number. Yeah, Kingsbury's not there anymore. But and then Kingsbury's given us fits up here. So it's it's funny the way that that matchup has uh, kind of went around in a circle.
0: Yeah, it was a weird little triangle there for a while. I'm not gonna lie, I did not think Pete Carroll was gonna outlast Cliff Kingsbury, and that's not really because of my confidence in Cliff. It's more because like people don't realize Pete Carroll's seventy years old. How much longer do you think Pete will be pacing the sidelines?
1: Pacing. That's exactly what he does. And chewing bubble gum. Chewing uh, that damn gum. <laughs> um, you know, Pete, he's the Benjamin Button of coaching. He just keeps getting younger, man. Um, and so as long as he loves it and you can see, you know, just with his antics on the sideline, just hey, if, if they ever, if you ever get a chance and watch a game live, When the coin toss happens, if the Seahawks win the coin toss, you have to just immediately look to him. And he is over there fist pumping like he just won the Super Bowl. It is the funniest thing. When I was coaching, I always went to the binoculars because I was up in the booth and I was like, all right, where's Pete? Because I got to see this celebration. (laughs) He loves to compete. And uh, this is probably the most fun he's had coaching because no one gave him a chance this year. More than the rebuilds that he did at SC and the rebuild he did here when he got up here. I think you know I said if anybody can do this it's Pete and John and and they they built a monster really like by that third year back then and I was like yo I don't think it's going to be a total rebuild but it also I'd be lying if I said I didn't know that Gino was going to do what he did and make the Pro Bowl this year break three uh single season records of Russ and I you know it just it was it's been unbelievable what he's been able to do but if any I felt like it could be turned around quicker because of the experience they had doing it the first time.
0: This is exactly the Pete Carroll team. Like this is the perfect team for him. I feel like he thrives with a bunch of younger guys and that whole team is loaded with him.
1: That's what it is, man. Um, He just, he connects with them um, on on a certain level that other coaches, you know, uh, might not be able to. And like just that element of competing and having fun, I think every young guy can relate to. Uh, No matter what program they went to in college, coming to the NFL, he gets, he's a master motivator. He gets the best out of all their, all the young guys. And so um, I know he's having fun with them right now.
0: Now you are obviously a USC guy. You did not overlap with Troy Palomalo while you were there. Is that right? I I
1: did one year when I transferred (laughs) in in 2002, his senior year, him and Carson senior year. That was my first year. I redshirted because of transfer rules. I came from University of Maine. You have to sit out a year. So right. I got to sit there, practice against those guys, um, and then just watch Troy do what he does, man.
0: So his name has come up a lot this year for the 49ers because he has sort of taken Talanoa Hufonga under his wing a little yeah. bit. Do you follow Hufonga's career, on a, another fellow USC guy? Right
1: on, baby. Absolutely, <laughs> I follow it. Um, yeah, he's, he's unbelievable to watch you know, just the energy and the ferocity and tenacity that he attacks the game with playing in and play out. You can't help but be a fan and respect what he does out there. And you see a lot of resemblance of of Troy, you know, and I heard that he had, you know, gotten a hold of him in the offseason and worked with him. And I think it's most evident in the, um he, he always had the run game down. Like he, that's something that he had following him back at SC, big hits, forced bumbles, all that. He had that. But what Troy's been doing with them in the coverage, man, like whether it's man or zone, those instincts are showing up. And um, it's like it's the game's slowing down for him. He's unbelievable to watch.
0: What is it about Palomalu and now Hufanga, I've seen it too. How do they anticipate the snap count so well? I feel like I've never seen somebody do it that many times. What are they keying on that allows them to do that?
1: Yeah. Film study. So, you know, you, usually I used to go get the game copy. And then I'd also, which is the all 22, but then you go and get the, uh, the TV copy, the TV copy, which a lot of guys, they just watch the, the all 22, which is silent film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can pick up hand signals and stuff and you can, it could be dictated on motion when the motion guy kind of stops, they have a, you know, a point where that ball, he knows he's going to stop. He can't be in motion when that ball snapped. Uh, and so, um, that and then picking up on the audio, like so, uh, getting the cadence down from each quarterback, uh, because it differs from game to game and each quarterback. So, uh, those are little things that kind of give a telltale, and just being attention to the detail.
0: Did you watch the TV copy of every game?
1: Yeah, bro. I'm I was one of the smallest, slowest middle
0: linebackers <laughs> to ever played this game.
1: I had to do everything I could to get my edge. And, and play as fast as I could with with all these unbelievably gifted athletes. All
0: right. Well, then let me ask you another question about middle linebackers. Fred Warner. I saw there was some criticism when he got his deal from, from the Niners because he doesn't necessarily put up a hot, bunch of sacks or get a ton of interceptions. But I think his biggest value is that he just takes stuff away. Like, you don't throw in the middle of the field on Fred Warner. Yeah. Is that is that accurate, or do you think uh, – that he should be putting up more sacks, more picks, stuff like that.
1: No, I think he's playing within the scheme. And like, you know, so there were some years that, you know, I, I took the same criticism. They're like, Oh, well, where are the big plays? You know, it's like I have to play within the scheme and the structure of the defense. And well, you know, really what we get paid for is to make sure everybody else plays faster. And it's the number one defense for a reason. I know there's a lot of great pieces around him, but he makes that thing go and, He's a heat-seeking missile, man. <laughs> he, that, that dude, the one, there was one play where he jumped over a guy. If he didn't jump sooner, like, that, his knee would have been gone because the guy was going to cut him. It was a highly illegal play. <laughs> he, just, he torpedoed, illegal from the offensive standpoint. They, mm-hmm. that guy, you can't come back in, inside out um, or, or outside in. You can't come towards your goal line, and that's exactly what was happening. He torpedoed over him and just – destroyed the ball carrier and um just the way he plays man it's awesome and then just he's a special athlete man he can do it all run um he can blitz coverage is awesome and what's crazy to think was you know I think he was used mostly around the line of scrimmage when he was at BYU so he's still fairly young in terms of his his you know getting acclimated to the game and, and playing that middle linebacker spot but he. He does it as well as anybody in the league he's awesome to watch and uh and i'm really big fan of the guy next to him dre greenlaw i don't think that guy gets he doesn't get enough respect man when when he came out of the draft i was hoping we were going to get him we had a needed at linebacker and uh he was just i believe he went to arkansas and it was just this little dude he got he took criticism for being too small but he was running around and just destroying people and i was like yo uh, you can win with that guy, and and he could do it all too. Um, and I think it's kind of like the Patrick Willis Navarro Bowman treatment that Fred gets. Fred gets all the love, and you know they're they're all phenomenal players. But Navarro Bowman could before he hurt his knee, that guy could do everything.
0: Yeah, hurt his knee in Seattle. Another great Seattle Seahawks memory for me. Hurt his knee, has the ball in his hands, and they don't say he recovered the fumble. I don't know how
1: that one went went opposite. Uh, yeah, I think Marshawn wrestled away from him, but that was the most gangster play I've ever seen. <laughs> when he ripped, I think he ripped the ball from the receiver. His knee got shattered, and he oh, went down with – he had the ball. Most guys would have just went to grab their knee. Like, I, I probably would have just been like, oh, my God, my knee's gone. He went down to the ground with that ball tucked, like, securely in his arm. So, yeah, that was – sorry, man, that was a bad call. But even more importantly, it was – it was devastating to me to, to watch, you know, one of my favorite linebackers, you know, have their career derailed because yeah, I, I know all about the injuries, man. I had 10 surgeries, 15 plus concussions. So I left it, I left it all in the field along with some body parts.
0: 10 surgeries. My God. How do you, when you wake up in the morning, how are you feeling?
1: Well, I feel great now because uh, you know, I live that plant, that plant life, that uh, zone in CBD. Uh, I got a company that, you know, the really, the plant, and, uh, the health and wellness sector is really what, uh, my calling is now. And, you know, just being a messenger for, for the plant and, uh, it's, dude, it's put me back together in so many ways, uh, just made me present moment, which is why we call it zone in. Right. And, um, yeah, I'm back down on my playing weight. I feel better than I've ever felt.
0: Wow. Nice. Yeah. I know, uh, the league policy, I think is what you get tested once a year. And then as soon as that test is over, I heard basically everybody just has weed parties.
1: Well, <laughs> I'm going to plead the fifth again. I don't know about weed parties. Uh, And and I've been out of the game for a while. But, you know, with CBD, which is, you know, it's different, the distinction of the the plant. This is derived from hemp, even though it is a cannabis plant. um, There's very little to no THC, non-detectable on a, 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 what do you call it, drug test. And so um, it's just all the good parts of the plant, minus the THC, which a lot of people love and enjoy. I do, too. (laughs) You know, I am a of age adult, so I do partake, but um but yeah, just I finding a way for people to live their best life, you know, with without, you know, the aches and pains, but also be more in the moment. It's what it's really allowed me to do because of the pain relief, anti inflammatory, neuroprotectant, so it's great for the brain. It's put me back together, man. I can't I can't sing its praises enough.
0: And you don't have to take any potentially addictive medication too.
1: Uh, I was on sleep meds my my whole career um, because I have sleep apnea, so I don't take those anymore. Anti-inflammatory opiates, all you name it, brother. It's it's been you know unbelievable what this uh, the plant's done for me.
0: Well, it is awesome to hear that you are feeling better, and this interview was fantastic. But I hope your team bites <laughs> the dust this weekend.
1: Hey <laughs> man, I, uh, I understand where you're coming from uh, as a Forty Nine er faithful, but. I hope for a good game. Can we just, can we agree on that? Can we hope
0: for a good game? That's fine. A uh, one score game, whatever you want, as long as there's one more point on the Niner side of things. I'll, I'll am in for whatever. We'll, we'll agree
1: to disagree on that one, but let's hope for a great game. This has been a pleasure, man. Uh,
0: anytime you want
1: to do this again and of course, uh, as I have my own Seahawks podcast, Take 12, we would love to have you on as a guest, brother.
0: Oh, absolutely. Anytime you need me, you can follow Lofa on Twitter at lofa to Tupu 51. Really appreciate the time.
1: All right, brother. Stay blessed.